Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Thank you all for coming out this evening. I know that you're in for an amazing time. Look, I know I say that all the time and I'm saying it again. This teaching series is one that I believe every believer needs to equip themselves with the truth. Just so you know, or if you, you're not sure what's happening this month, we're, we're going through a teaching series called Asking for a Friend. Because you and your friends have asked those questions. You've had these discussions of things that bug you, things that keep you up at night. And we want to give you the right answers. We want to help you see God in, in the true way. We want, you to help, want to help you see your worldview the way God wants you to see it. Praise the name of Jesus. And tonight is a very sensitive, critical topic that we can't but have this discussion. All right. It's super, super important. All right, but what I want us to do is I want us to start with our key scripture. And by now, I hope you have it memorized. If you don't have it memorized, please make it a point of duty to have it memorized by the end of this teaching. But we're going to go at it. We're going to say it about two or three times right now. We're going to talk from, I'm talking about 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 15. Are you ready? Do you know this, right? Let me give you a hint. But sanctify the Lord God, you know, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You know that scripture, right? So let's go. Let's say it together. But sanctify, I hope I get this. <laughs> I hope I don't bite my mouth, but let's see. Let's try. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to, to them that ask, asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. So can we say it together? It's very simple. It starts with saying, sanctify the Lord in your heart. And then be ready as a result to give an answer to anyone who is asking you of the hope that is in you. And it tells you how to go about it with meekness and fear. Can we try one, one to go? Let's go. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to them that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. Can we go one more time? But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to them that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is a very powerful scripture and it's a reminder that all of us need to know that we need to be prepared at every point in time. Last week we mentioned that you can't afford to go into any conversation anymore clueless. You can't afford it anymore. It's, it just won't work. We live in an enlightened generation, a world that needs answers. And God has expectations of you, dear ambassador, to, to preach and proclaim this truth to whomever, whenever. And I pray that that's exactly what you're going to do in Jesus' name. I want to welcome guests, those of you who are not believers. And I hope that by this teaching, you get to see insights to what we believe as Christians and how it's not mutually exclusive to logical reasoning. The two go hand in hand. Faith and logic, they are best friends. How, someone asked the question, how can you reconcile faith and logic? And the person's reply was, how can you, why do you need to reconcile two best friends? <laughs> because that's exactly what faith and logic are for us as believers. Praise the name of Jesus. And I want to read this scripture, which we're going to, we're going to read again towards the end. And it's an admonition to you. Romans chapter 12, from verse 1 to 2. 
You know the scripture is super popular, but I want you to open your Bibles right now. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, right? Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. I love that Paul in this scripture introduces a concept, the perfect will of God. And he admonishes you, don't conform to the way of the world. You need to change your mind, renew your mind. It's the root word for repentance, to change your mind about something. So that you may discern, that's the word prove. To discern what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. To know what is the perfect will of God and to discern what is not the perfect will of God. It is something that you are responsible for where you don't conform to what the world says or sees, but renewing your mind in such a way and with the power of the word, renewing your mind so that you can discern what is the perfect will of God in every given situation. Praise the name of Jesus. This is an important important um, exhortation that Paul is giving here and you're going to see why praise the name of Jesus but look we're having a very we have a very exciting teaching ahead of us the title of this teaching is is there is God really good is God really good so right now dear lawyers you know you were hired last week weren't you you are hired as a lawyer for God so get out your briefcase bring out the files let's check the evidence to know whether the evidence will convict or vindicate God um, and let us know whether he is good or he is not. Praise the name of Jesus. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, really, really, Pastor Ken? So you, you're wearing a pink shirt that has clouds all over it. You know, you're talking about the goodness of God. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to, to convince us and, you know, just, you know, sway us to believe that God is somehow good because you're wearing this? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yes. I'm doing exactly that. That that's exactly why I'm wearing this. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's working. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're going to bring out all the evidence and just help you understand is God really good? And it's a very brilliant question to ask. It's it's a reasonable question to ask. If I just make you pause for a second, and rethink the happenings of just this year alone. I'm not going to even going to go that far back to when the COVID period pandemic hit. And those of you in Nigeria, when the whole NSARS movement started, I'm not even going to go through that phase, right? Just thinking about this year alone and all the things that have happened this year. The truth is the average person would have every reason to believe, ha, I hear you. You say God is good, I hear you. But is he really? Like, have you seen what is happening? Is he really that good? You can't, no, come on, come on. And then maybe some good stuff happens in your life, but compared to the bad things happening, you're like, ah, this, this is the good stuff, this is the bad stuff. Like, it's almost, incom- you know, almost in, um, incomparable, right? How can we combine these two things? How can we say God is good when there's just so much evil happening in the world? And this is what we're going to investigate. So let's start with some of the claims that some people in the Bible say, 
and I'm going to just walk you through um, you know what the scriptures say and even from a, a logical standpoint all right remember the aim of apologetics is to bring reasoned arguments bring evidence systematically so that you can persuade someone of what you believe and that's exactly what I'm going to do right now are you ready if you're ready just type it in the chat section that you are ready and you're excited ready to go let's go all right so James chapter 1 James chapter 1 from verse 12 we're gonna read very quickly I'll read till verse 17 Oh, so much to cover, but we will in, in, in time by the power of God. Um, verse 12. Are you there? James chapter 1 from verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. And, and this is an encouragement to you. The one who endures temptation, endures trials, will receive the crown of life. It's, it's a promise. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted or tested, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Verse 14, but every, when, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bring it forth death. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. It's telling them, don't make this mistake. Don't fall into error to think that God tempts or tests people, that he sends trials through people's way to test them. And neither can you tempt the Lord. You know, and Jesus made that response when he was tempted by the devil. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God, right? You can't test the Lord. Verse 17, and this is the claim after he's mentioned all these things, he was preparing us for this huge bang. In verse 17, he just says, you know what? Everything I've just told you, you need to realize that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's a huge statement right there. Every perfect gift you see around, every good gift is from above, is from the, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, no darkness, no shadow of turning. He's telling you that every good thing that you have seen was God. Every good thing that, you, that God has ever, uh, that you've ever witnessed was God. The things you're witnessing that are good and perfect are from God. He's also saying, you know, in, in contradistinction, that every evil thing you have seen or witnessed is not from God. And I think something that we need to ask is, what is our definition of good and evil? Right? And we're going to get to that. But this is what James puts forward as evidence. Look, telling you, is, is putting as a statement, rather I would say, that God is good. You can't find anything when you unpeel all the layers of the onion of God, all you find is good at its very core. You find nothing else. And that doesn't change, is what he says. Then David comes into the picture, and David says this. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. David goes in Psalm 31 from verse 19 to 20. He says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. 
Psalm 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see these words, refuge, safety, the goodness of God. Taste, see. Like it, he's telling you, you can witness the goodness of God if you look hard enough. Verse, um, Psalm 100 verse 5. Psalm 100 verse 5. I'll read very quickly. It says, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. And this sounds like a song that you know, right? For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good and his mercies endure it forever. Yeah, that song. This is Psalm 105. 100, I beg your pardon, verse 5. And then Psalm 86 from verse 6. Um, Psalm 86 from verse 5, he says again, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 107 verse 1, and you know, David was just vexing. He was like, man, you guys think something else. Let me just show you steady. You know, and he said verse in verse 1 of Psalm 107, he says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So this was David proclaiming that God really is good. And Jesus, who claimed to be the representation of God, also said something in this light. In Mark chapter 10 from verse 18, Jesus came on the scene and, and Jesus responded to this man who called him good master, right? And he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And many people have, and I, I don't have much time to talk about it, but many people think, this was Jesus excusing himself, like, stop that, don't call me good. Only God is good. Don't come and tell me I'm good. That's not what he was trying to do. I feel it was actually the opposite. From the context, he did something remarkable, something good to this man. And this man tells him, oh, good master, and, you know, shows gratitude and says, why would you call me good if only, I mean, I've done a good thing. Why would you call me good if only God is good he was trying to with that prove his deity but i'm not i'm not going to get going to that but this was a statement that jesus himself made that god is good praise the name of jesus now let's go deep into this let's examine this and i want you to just pay attention be ready all right ready to unlearn and ready to learn just be open be objective all right when we look at the world we see that there are good sides of the world and there are chaotic sides of the world. There's good, there's evil. You know, this is a basic concept of life. There's light, there's darkness, there's black, there's white. And I'm not saying black and white in the sense of race or anything, but I'm just talking about the dynamics, right? There is good, there is evil, there is yin, there's yang. There's just a balance that comes to the world, sort of, sort of putting it that way, if I'll call it a balance. But then we see good, we see evil happening. I'm, when you, when you try to trace the origin of these things, you, you're left to, many times, a lot of people just end up blaming God. It seems like the easiest route to go. You know, many times they blame God for the good and the bad. You know, and, and I'll tell you why as we go on. If it's good, thank you, God. Oh, thank God. Even unbelievers, when you hear someone, a colleague of yours almost had an accident, but somehow, miraculously, they didn't enter into an accident. They were safe. You say, oh, thank God. 
Some people say thank goodness, right? <laughs> but maybe thank the goodness of God. Anyways, um, but you get the point. Somehow every, people attribute that and say, oh, God was good. When something bad happens, God, why? And we really need to ask the question, is God responsible for everything that happens on the earth? It's a good question to ask. Is God solely responsible? Is he a micromanager that he orders every single thing? That even as I'm doing this with my hand, he's the one pulling the strings. Like I'm just a puppet and he's just like, you know, pulling the strings. And if you can't see me, I'm, I'm dancing, by the way. Yeah, he's pulling the strings, making me to do every single thing that I'm doing right now. Is that the God we serve? And let's go into it. So I'm going to talk to you about the sources of actions like, or sources of actions and events that happen in life generally. And you have to ask questions like this, like, who do we blame for the Russian-Ukrainian war that's happening right now? Who is to blame? Is, did God start that war? Did God say, hmm, it's getting a bit boring. Since, like, you know, World War II has been boring. Let's spice things up a bit. Into Gabriel, Michael, go and do something, <laughs> you know. And then fight started, just like that. Do we blame God for it? Um, who do you blame for the, the hurricanes that you see, the natural disasters? Of course, they call these things acts of God in the news. But are they really acts of God? Who, who do we blame for sickness and diseases? Does God inflict people with diseases and sicknesses just because he wants to? Does he inflict little toddlers and children with cancer? Does he do that? Does he, does he make people you know, be sexually assaulted? And even if he doesn't make, make these people do these things or make these things happen, Another question to ask is, why does he allow it? If he is so good like that, why would he allow this thing still happen? So we need to answer these questions, right? Let's list out the sources of all possible actions. Let's list them out. And the reason why I'm doing this is so that we understand the buckets of responsibility. Who is responsible for what? So that when those things happen, we can easily look in the right direction of blame and say, you are responsible for this. We look in this direction, oh, definitely you are responsible for this. Does that make sense? Can we do this right now? All right, let me go to the first one. I'm going to start with the very first and obvious one. God. God is the source of certain actions, right? Um, When you talk about the creation of the world, we believe that God created all things by his power. He spoke the word and all things came to be. He was that powerful. He created everything from nothing. We believe in the creation um, from the beginning that God did. We know that God blesses people. All right. We also know from scriptures that God has expressed holy wrath, holy anger. All right. Which can be likened to a justice system. All right. We're going to talk about that much more, but I'm just trying to summarize this right now. God has been known to bless and reward. He's been known to curse, which is to punish for wrongdoing, all right? He's been known to create, to bring things to life. He's been known to save, all right? He's been known to redeem. So we can ascribe those actions to God. Praise the name of Jesus. The second person in the picture, the second source of actions is the devil. And yes, we believe in the spiritual realm. Yes, we believe that there's an actual devil. And it's not just in the songs or the movies we watch. 
he exists. He exists. He's the adversary. He is the accuser of the brethren. All right. And one of the things that he does, he oppresses. Right. We know that he oppresses people. He enslaves. He brings harm. He brings danger. He oppresses. And, and maybe I can just squeeze this in quickly because of time. In 1 Samuel 16, we see something that happens, right? 1 Samuel 16, it says, verse 10, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 18, I beg your pardon. Verse 10 says, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand so this is very very strange a very strange thing to happen right right here we're seeing that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul and then he prophesied in the midst of the house you know and David played the harp but he threw the javelin at David like what exactly is happening when I mean, you read the context if I can just go there quickly and you can open there with me, 1 Samuel chapter 18. All right. And we're going to read from verse 6. We're going to read verse 6. Or maybe I'll, uh, yeah, I'll read from verse 6 just quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. Remember, we're talking about the sources of actions, right? Who do we ascribe the different things that happen to? All right. And we're doing this objectively. Verse 6. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, so they had defeated Goliath, they had defeated the Philistines, and the woman came out of all the cities of Israel. Those people put, them in, put, put David in trouble. But anyways, woman will be woman. Um, the woman came out, they were singing and dancing to meet King Saul, the tabret, and, and joy, and instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands and David has slain ten thousands. Ha. Ha. Even if he's your blood brother, you, there'll be small jealousy now. That someone that has been in battle all this while, who has sacrificed for your nation as the leader of the nation, one small boy just came. You're saying he has killed ten thousand. Come on. And statistically, David had not killed his 10,000. This was just them saying, Saul has done something. David has done way more. So look at the conditions. Look at what's happening. And Saul, when he heard that, what happened? How was his disposition? He was very angry. The Bible says he was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000. And to me, they have ascribed but mere thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? So he was already threatened, insecure. What next would they say? That he's supposed to be the rightful person on the throne? So you can see the disposition of his heart. And so I, this is where it started from, by the way. Nigerians didn't invent this thing. And Saul eyed David from, the day, from that day forward. He eyed him. Literally, it's in the Bible. <laughs> he eyed David. In verse 10, when it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God. So Paul, I, be, I said Paul, I beg your pardon. Saul had opened himself up to a very vulnerable position where there was bitterness, jealousy, anger, all the works of the flesh. 
And then the next time we see an evil spirit come in. Look, let me tell you, all the people that Jesus during his ministry freed from evil spirits, many times were once subjected and exposed to things that would incur evil spirit possessions or oppressions. Do you understand? Whether it was from you know, their family or whether it was from the conditions that they were in, demons usually oppress people in, in vulnerable situations, especially those that are fueled by works of the flesh. And I'm speaking both experientially and also from scriptures, right? At the end of the day, he was in a position that caused this to happen. Now, the writer of 1 Samuel, we can argue that he was writing to say that every evil spirit ultimately, which were fallen angels, originally came from God. So whether it's an angel of death, whether it is um, a fallen angel, these all are from God. God created all things, and so an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. People can argue this. But at the end of the day, you need to realize that this, when a man is fueling his anger towards someone, does God come in to add kerosene to the fire and say, you know what, just, you can do more, you know, you have potential. Let me give you one spirit that will just enable you. You know, you've never done uh, Olympics, but with this one, you can throw javelin, you know, (laughs) I want to kill David. Why? Why would God do that? You know, so I believe that this was an act of demonic forces, the devil, you know. Um, and, and of course, the writing might seem to say otherwise. But when you look critically from New Testament revelation, we see God does not tempt, does not test. He doesn't give bad gifts. He gives his Holy Spirit. He doesn't give terrible gifts. We see the volume of scriptures that just tell us, no, the, the right interpretation of this text is that an evil spirit did come upon Saul right whether this evil spirit was i mean evil spirits themselves were created by god but they were not made to be evil by god but in cases of vulnerability this can happen does that make sense i hope i'm not confused you do you understand if you understand shout a big yes glory to god so just just by the side so we have god who does these things we have the devil who does his things these are the sources of actions i've talked about number three we have sin and, and I've slashed this with a fallen world. So we have sin. And I asked a question earlier, where do hurricanes come from and, and storms and tsunamis and earthquakes? Where do these natural disasters come from? Are they supernatural disasters or they're actually natural disasters? I believe that sin, when sin came into the world through Adam's sin, the Bible tells us in Romans 5:12, sin and death reigned over this world by one man's disobedience, which is Adam. At the end of the day, you, have to, and you, you need to understand that sin came into this world and corrupted this world. Like when sin came, it didn't just corrupt the man who sinned. It corrupted everything in creation. That's how terrible because man has dominion over the earth. And so his action co- co- actually replicated the, the spiritual and also the natural state of things uh, after his fall. Do you understand? So sin and the fallen world caused chaos that's where the concept of pain a childbirth came from do you remember the concept of having to sweat and toil before you eat the concept of of death in itself came as a result of sin so you have to always be careful to not say this earthquake came this was a sign the people in that place were terrible and were very bad and so this must have been god 
you need to first take a step back and ask what does sin do to this world romans 8 says that all creation waits for the you know cries out waiting for the manifestation of the sons of god the reason why that is happening is because creation has been corrupted and is waiting for the day when the sons of god are revealed which is at the day of of the lord the rapture when all who are god's sons and children are revealed and when sin is eradicated and all things are made new that's what that scripture was talking about all right and and that's why it's important to be careful to not say this was an act of god because it seemed otherworldly it seemed huge and supernatural of course a man cannot by himself cause an earthquake so we need to look to the next big guy we need to realize that sin caused problems in this world the bible tells us so it, it caused chaos in the world it brought death it brought sickness it brought hurricanes it brought natural disasters praise the name of jesus and then the last source of actions is fallen free man all right a fallen free man all right and I'll, I'll just give you an example of what i mean fallen free man so if for example and this might be an extreme case but if by example you know the normal road rules right when you go on the road maybe there's a road you can cross you first well in nigeria we don't really have many zebra crossings that are honored and respected some people don't see the zebra they just just keep going it's almost like as you're walking you are the target of the car you know that's how it is sadly but normally when you're crossing a road or a place you look left you look right then you look left again then you cross but imagine an irresponsible parent holding their little daughter three years old and you know as he's going he's just checking his phone texting hmm you know Let's see what happens. And, you know, he just looks quickly, okay, and he's texting. And he starts walking and doesn't know that a train is coming, uh, a trailer, I beg your pardon, or a big truck is coming from the intersection. And as he's going, the daughter just runs, you know, out of excitement. She's just running forward and he's still on his phone and the truck smashes her. If you stop and look at that situation and see, God, why? Why have you done this, oh God? Then you must be foolish. I say that with utmost respect. You must be very foolish. There are things that are within our control. That's what you need to understand. There are things that are within our sphere of responsibility that if we do or handle those things carelessly or recklessly, we will suffer the consequences. Don't tell me that God did it. If you, if you stole something, or you killed someone for, God forbid, that, that will never be you. That happened. There will be consequences. And you can't say God made you kill someone or God made you. No. You'll go to jail for what you did. So I think this is a huge point that men, need to, men and women everywhere need to realize that they are actually responsible for their actions. God gave dominion to man on this world to do what he was going to do, to execute his will. Man decided to disobey, and God still allowed man to execute his will, to do what he was supposed to, do it freely. So God is not to be blamed for our carelessness. He shouldn't be. If only that man were more careful, then that would have been a testimony rather than a tragedy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand these sources? That now, there might be more we can cons arguably consider more, but this 
this four that I've mentioned, the God, God himself, the devil, the enemy, and the demonic forces, um, the fallen world, sin, and, and fallen man. All right, These are the sources of things we see that happen in the world. And it's very important that you can discern, distinguish where this is from, where that is from. Do you understand? There's sometimes people go through a rough patch. Maybe there's a sickness someone has and you, you're like, ah, this sickness, well, is a falling world. And actually, in fact, it's, it's a demonic attack. Demons do do that. You know, there are people in the Bible that Jesus healed of demonic spirits and the ailments went away. The, the, the ailments went away. They were not, you know, mentally unstable. When, when you, what do you think? When you see someone, just pay attention. When you see the description of the man that Jesus healed, who uh, the, the Bible describes was chained. Oftentimes, you'll go to the fire, you'll go into the water, he behaved like a lunatic. Don't you realize that that's a typical modern-day madman? I don't know if you've seen a madman or a madwoman who just walk on the streets, no sense of direction, confused, like they're not conscious of what they're doing and they act in strange ways. That is what was happening. Jesus got rid of that spirit. People would say it's a medical condition, it's a mental illness, it's a neurological disability. My dear, this is demonic activity. And, and you have to be able to discern where these things are coming from if you're going to... Uh, if you're going to live a life that makes sense, that it's not free from bias, where you just point and say everything is God. And it's because of a concept, you know, why people are so quick to point the finger of God is because of a concept called the sovereignty of God. It's a doctrine, the sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It simply means that God has, you know, the ability to execute his will in the world he he's sovereign he's ruler you know he is able to oversee intervene he's able to execute his will on the earth some people have this idea of god that you know he's just some guy up the up there sitting in a reclining chair you know eating popcorn it's called popcorn because he's pop right he's our papa you know it's, uh, his father okay yeah you get the point sorry that was a bad joke he's eating popcorn and, you know, he has this screen that he's just, you know, the screen of doom. He's just swiping whatever he wants. Boom, boom. This is what I want. Boom. Give me this. Give me that. Boom, boom. You, I want you to marry Deborah. Oh, yeah. Boom, bah. You know, some of you wish that's how it worked. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You need to do the work. Um, and then you, you just feel like God just controls everyone, micromanages. That as you're breathing in, breathing out, it's God doing that exactly. Oh, my dear. You need to realize that God, while he is sovereign, the beauty of the sovereignty of God is that it runs in parallel to the free will of man. And I know this is a huge debate. There's a whole debate about this whole thing, you know, where you stand on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And like I said before about, uh, as I said before about faith and logic, the same thing applies. How can you, why would you want to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man when they are not enemies, they're friends, they're pals. They go hand in, in hand. And, you know, someone gave a description of this, that even as you see the sovereignty of God, if it runs in parallel, the sovereignty of God goes this way, 
the free will of man goes this way. As you look in perspective, at the end of the day, it meets at some point, right? It, I know parallel lines don't mean, but in that perspective, they go hand in hand, but, but there's a convergence. And that's the picture that you need to see. That while man, and I'm going to read a quote to you to just understand this, you know, but you see, God has a set of principles that he operates by. It's called the counsel of his will. This is how he will execute his judgment and run the world and, and create. This is how God does it. And, and many people, the issue they have with God is the fact that they don't want God to be king. They don't want God to be sovereign. They don't want a God who who can do what he wants, who looks over anyone, who, who, who watches everything we do. They don't want that. They want a world where they are free, where they are free to do whatever they like, to do whatever they like, to, to not be monitored. That's the life they want. But you can't, really, you really can't have that kind of life. Tell me one place that you know that is a strong institution that you don't have leadership. Whether it's marriage or it's politics or it's your social group or it's your Jets club in secondary school, there will be a leader, there will be a president, there will be someone appointed because that's how the world works. And who is the leader, the owner, the creator of this universe? It is God. And if he created this thing, think about it. If a company like Apple creates their product, right? Oh, they were starting out the company. You're not going to tell them how they should go about their company. They have a plan, they have a blueprint, they will execute it. While they interact with their users and all of that, they have a plan. There's an ultimate plan that would happen. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? So let me just read this quote to you. This is it. Uh, and I think it's by the great C.S. Lewis. He said, before God was created, uh, before God, God, sorry, <laughs> that's the wrong thing to say. I'm so sorry, scratch that, please, scratch that. Before God created anything, that's what I meant to say, there was nothing to be sovereign over, right? Before he created the angels, humans, the world, nothing to be sovereign over. But there were principles that he had. There was always perfect love. There was justice within the Godhead. God loved, and the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Spirit. There was mutual coexistence, mutual love, mutual relationship, mutual justice going on there where either party would not wrong the other right this was perfect um and then he goes on to say that there are things that are not within his perfect will now this is where i needed to pay attention there are things that are not within his perfect will but are within the bounds of his permissible will but in the end those things will end up fulfilling his ultimate and perfect will and i'm going to give you examples of that well, before I do that, I just want to give you an example of, of how sovereignty does not mean a narcissistic, tyrannical rulership. It doesn't mean that whoever is ruling as a sovereign just does whatever he wants, you know, damn the consequences, doesn't care about how you feel. That's, that's not what it's like. Let me give you an example. Now, imagine the next, now this might cause some trouble. Imagine the next president of Nigeria decides to resurrect like his manifesto is i want to resurrect the power plants all across nigeria the dormant ones the the ones that are dilapidated i want to bring them back i want to bring fifteen thousand what megawatts and supply the nation 
and, and just make sure that there's 24-hour supply of light. This is his mission for the next four years, you know. He wants to do this. Sounds exciting, right? But, I mean, we've heard it a lot anyway. Um, and then he, go, he goes on to do this. And then someone, a, a vandal, comes and destroys one of the, the power plants, you know. And that vandal did it out of his free will. Um, while that would have disrupt, might have seemed to disrupt his plan, a good leader would have mitigation plans, would have contingency plans, just in case any of these things happen. And then immediately he goes, has his plan B to support, uh, you know, his support plan to mitigate the problem, and you keep moving, and you keep moving. That ultimately, even though it was allowed that the vandal spoiled one of the power plants, the ultimate goal is to resurrect every power plant and give 24-hour supply of light. Do you understand? You, 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 I mean, it is a responsible leader that thinks that way, that you have a plan, and the plan is a good plan. And you know, hopefully it's having the people in mind and not just for some ulterior motive, but you have a plan for the people, you are executing it, and even though bad things happen along the way, you, you just ensure that ultimately everything leads to an ultimate end where that plan is executed for the betterment of the people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Praise, does that make sense? Does that idea, he's, he's given sovereignty over the nation as the president, as the ruler, to execute his plan, and even though bad things happen, that plan needs to be executed so that it helps the people, even if they don't know it's for their good. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that might not be the best picture, but that's a similar case with the sovereignty of God. That even though bad things happen and they're you know, within his permissible will, they're allowed because of the concept of free will, at the end of the day, they must, everything must all consummate in the execution of his perfect will, the consummation of his perfect will. Praise the name of Jesus. But honestly, if you want to see a productive and valuable country, get your PVC. You see what I did there? Like PVC, you know, productive, valuable country. You should, you should vote is what I'm trying to say. Vote. Amen. <laughs> I know many of you are like, who do we vote for? Just, just vote. Do your research. Choose someone unbiased. Look at the manifesto. Look at their track record and vote. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, glory to God. Let me not stay here too long. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So let me just give you examples of where situations where while there was an ultimate plan, there were hiccups along the way. There was evil along the way. There were bad things that happened along the way, but ultimately ended up in you know the, the plan of God coming to pass. So I'll give you the instance of David. Very typical example. David in the Bible he was tending to his sheep, you know, and then the lion came, the bear came, and David had to fight these things. I mean, if you look at the story of David, you look back and just think that, oh, this was God. God was trying to test him. God was trying to train him. So, you know, God on his screen of doom was like, hmm, I want to make this guy king. What can I do? You're going to fight Goliath. Let me give you terrible opponents. Okay, you know what? Lion, where you go? Round one, fight. <laughs> and David fought and won. Ah, nice, nice, nice. So you need level two difficulty. Let's see. Bear. And by the way, bears are much more uh, uh, terrible, much more uh, voracious than, than lions, you know, very dangerous. And sends a bear. Round two, 
fight. And David won. See my guy. See my David. See my guy. Yeah, go and fight Goliath. Let's go. If you, if you think that's what God was doing, then you're very mistaken. These things happen. What do you expect to happen when you are tending to very juicy animals? Fat, fresh, juicy sheep, mutton, you know, maybe, you know, could be barbecued and, and grilled. You know, it, I'm getting hungry right now. Um, that's exactly what happened with the lion and the bear. They were very hungry. And so when you have fresh food, <laughs> you would invite unwanted visitors, right? That's what happened. But at the end of the day, those things prepared him for what he was going to face. While there was the grace of God upon him, still he needed to go through those experiences to face the giants. Do you understand? And it wasn't God doing that and testing him. Things happened, but ultimately God brought good out of it because that's what God does. He brings beauty out of ashes. He brings good out of evil. Look at verse, uh, look at the next guy. Look at Joseph. This one is very powerful. Genesis chapter 50 from verse 15 to 21. We're going to read it very, very quickly. Genesis chapter 50 from verse 15 to 21. Am I good on time? Oh, I don't have much time, my goodness. But let's go here quickly. Genesis chapter 50 from verse 15 to 21. I'll read very quickly. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph would, will hate us. You know the story. This were the brothers of Joseph who you know, lied that they killed him, dropped him in a pit, and sold him to slavery, right? So they were like, ha, it may be that Joseph, at this point, Joseph was prime minister, he was running the country. It may be that Joseph would hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So this was the period of the famine. There was no food where the Israel, Israelites stayed, you know, and Joseph was in such a very, very critical position to help these people because at the time, Thanks to the dreams God revealed to Joseph, they saved up and stored up for those seven years of famine. And now they were enjoying plenty. So look at what happened. It says, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. This was an emotional thing that happened. He remembered how he had shared his dreams to this guy. These guys who were supposed to support him and be a pillar. That look, you have a big dream and you can do this. Look at the elders who could have supported his baby brother. and said, bro, I'm with you all the way. I support you. But then you turn your back, throw him in a pit sell him into slavery and lie to your father that he's dead and gone oh my goodness that was bad that was evil that was terrible not only that he ended up in prison for false false accusations for several years he went through a tough time this guy could have been killed at any point literally he wept it was emotional verse 18 his brothers also came and fell down before him and they said, "Before, behold, we are your servants. We're the ones we are talking about. Forgive us. We're your brothers." But Joseph said to them, "Do not fear, for am I in the place of God?" He was like, "Don't bow to me like that. I'm not God. Don't know. Yeah, you are servants of God, but I'm not God. Don't bow to me like that." And in verse twenty, as for you, this is where it needs to ring in your head. This is how the sovereignty of God works. 
as for you, you meant evil against me. They did it freely. They were conscious. It wasn't that God just brainwashed all of them and then, you know, at night, he just woke all of them up. Uh, sell Joseph. Sell Joseph. They were conscious. They knew what they were doing. They sold this guy to slavery. They did. They got money from it. Used it for things, you know. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good bring, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Praise, do you realize that this story is incredible? You think that ultimately this story was for the, for the good of Joseph. But realize that in God saving Joseph, he was going to save the progeny of Jesus Christ. You need to realize that maybe many of you don't know. Jesus didn't come through the, the lineage, the physical lineage of Joseph. He came from Judah, one of the sons of Jacob. That's why we call him the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It was not from Joseph. So God preserved Joseph to preserve Judah and his family. Think about it. They meant for evil, but God in his providence, in his sovereignty, made it turn out for good beautiful example you know and he said you know i'll provide for your little ones don't worry he comforted them and spoke kindly to them this is this is good this is the good the the, the best attitude to have that you've been shown kindness by god and you show that same kindness to these people when you talk about the crucifixion of jesus that's another example these guys meant evil literally to kill the messiah they wanted they, they shouted crucify him and this this was recorded to be one of the greatest betrayals in in history it was recorded that many of the people whom Jesus had performed miracles over, who had yet touched and delivered, were some of the people shouting, crucify him. There were still some of the people doing that. They did it from a free consciousness. They knew what they were doing. And what would have been the most horrific death, one of the most horrific deaths in history, turned out to, to be, bring about the salvation of all mankind. That is God in action. That is the God you serve. Now, these things happened within his permissible will, but ultimately all things led up to the accomplishment of his perfect will. Praise the name of Jesus. That's how a good leader leads. That regardless of the contingencies, your plan can still be executed while everyone exercises their free will. God has the onus. He has the, the prerogative to do with us as he likes, and he's chosen to do good by us. He's chosen to do good. And I know that we talked about the definition of good. What does good actually mean? Good is actually God operating to us, dealing with us in accordance to his justice. So in his justice system, he acts to us what he, he, he feels is, you know, in the justice system, there's, there's a difference between good, there's a difference between evil. And so he executes his will based on what he judges to be good for us. The salvation of all mankind is good for us blessing us and keeping us and and having us trust in him and depending that's all he's ever asked for think about it he's never told us to do crazy things he's only asked for us to trust in him to love him think about imagine oh just think about it imagine a woman who decides she wants to be a housewife she just wants to be a housewife and the husband says you know what? all you need to do is just receive my love let me take care of you. Receive my love. Love me back. That's all I ask. You can live the rest of your life in plenty, comfortable, and just, I mean, that would literally be every woman's dream. 
not every woman's dream i mean the comfort and love i'm not talking about not you know some women want to build a career and work which is great and beautiful but at the end of the day it's 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 every woman's dream to be loved to be comfortable to to know that they are seen and they have utmost the utmost attention of their husband and literally that's what god has done being a husband to us and saying just receive my love i have everything you need i will never run out just receive from me receive of my goodness but anyways we end up looking in, you know back at him and disbelieving him and doubting him and blaming him and pointing our fingers at him you're the reason for all the bad that's happening and all of that when we don't realize that there's the wickedness of man there is evil in this world and we must always mustn't always be so quick to point the finger at god do you understand what i'm saying this is all he's ever asked for to receive his love think about it for a second that is that is just incredible praise the name of jesus so even with the crucifixion of jesus you see how god weaved everything to the betterment of us and bringing about of his ultimate will but the question still persists why is there still evil in the world yes you've told us god is good i'm beginning to see it now but why is there still evil in this world why is there why was there a massacre that happened why are people getting raped why is there a war happening what's going on is god has he lost control of his world you know everything is so chaotic is god really still here why doesn't he intervene and i'll answer that number one is sin corrupted all of the world and that's why there's still evil in the world sin corrupted all of the world and that's why there's still evil in the world there is sickness there is disease i've explained this they're natural disasters sin corrupted this world um and, and that's why we're experiencing the things we're experiencing it's a fallen world it's a broken world the beautiful thing is that god through his son jesus has a plan to heal the world and reconcile all things back to himself right praise the name of jesus there's a window of grace that we have right now that we're experiencing praise the name of jesus uh, number two reason why there is still evil in the world is because god allows free will he gives free will to all men you know the reason why people have said we don't want free will i wish god just made us zombies and puppets then everything will be fine adam and eve will not have to have fallen you know but what kind of life is that i have used this example and i'll use it again imagine you're about to propose to your babe you've dated for a long time you know and you you're there you're about to propose and you're like babe i love you so much i love you so much she's just looking at you she's smiling she's blushing <laughs> okay and you now say do you love me too and she says, well, I have to. I, I don't understand. Do you, do you love me? Yeah, I have to love you now, right? I have to. Do I have a choice? <laughs> How does that sound? If I flip it the other way too, and maybe you tell your boyfriend, I love you so much, baby. You mean the world to me. Do you love me? He says, I have to now. Do I have, do I have choice? I have to love you. It's, like, it's not like I want to, but I just, I just, I'm just programmed that way. You know, it sounds like, ah, did I force you to love me? That's exactly what a world without free will looks like. It's forceful. It is without will. It is without intention or conscious action. And that is not love. Any love that is forced is slavery. It's not love. It's bondage. It's not love. It's not. It must be requited love. 
you know, for it to be for for it to be requited, it must be free. Is what I'm trying to say. All right. So basically, God created a world where people have the option to choose. But ultimately, what God wanted was to have fellowship with man, have intimate relationship with mankind. And even if at the first, at the beginning, you know, these guys exercised their choice, and that's the reason why you can see that they had free will. They had a choice to choose, and they chose. Do you get it? If they, didn't even, if they didn't have options in the first place, people ask, why did God have to create a tree? If they didn't have options and an instruction, that's it. So there must be an instruction and options for there to be free will. And if they didn't have options to choose from, and it was only just to do the only thing they could do, then how are they really free? So that was a representation of what free will looked like. And then they chose the wrong thing. But even in that salvation plan, God in his mercy was like, even though men, and even after generation, after generation, in the time of Noah, they got worse. Time of Sodom and Gomorrah, they got worse. Still, ultimately, God brought about the redemption of mankind back to himself through Jesus Christ in a time like this. Praise the name of Jesus, if you believe that. Hallelujah. So this is what I'm talking to you about. The reason why they're still evil is because men are still free. If God, if your prayer to God is, God, stop evil every time it happens. If anyone is about to sin and do something bad, God, hold their hand. God, hold their legs. God, you know, close their mouth. In the name of Jesus. Oh, boy. Guess what will happen? By the time you're done, you've prayed a prayer that any time evil is about to be done, or any evil person, God should silence them. God should hold them. God should, you know, paralyze them. Oh, boy, by the time... You are done praying. Guess what's happening? You are done. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. But can't move. Because guess what? You are bad. <laughs> I don't mean it in a bad way, but you make mistakes. You, you sin sometimes. So you will be that person that God will hold. You will be that. Think about many times we just, many of us have been found lying and stealing and lost in. But guess what? There are people who are also murdering and doing these terrible things. And we're like, you know what? Our sin is not as bad. God, focus on the people that are doing bad things, like the real sin, murder, rape, assault, war, corruption. Those are the people you should focus on. Me, it's just small lies here and there. Why do you think that in God's eyes, sin is any different? And I know the consequences are different. But sin is sin. The wages of sin is the same. It is death. Do you understand? So why, why, if you say God should just, why didn't God stop that person? If God were to stop every evil person, he will stop you. He will stop you. <laughs> but that's the concept of free will. Where we think God is not in control and we feel like he's just left the picture. He's actively weaving all things to the completion of his perfect will, regardless of the bad things and the contingencies, and regardless of your free will in the picture. Praise the name of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. And then one thing you need to realize is that even now, number three, God intervenes against evil. So I'll give you examples and not just personal examples. I've had personal examples, but from the word of God, there was a time when James, you know, the disciple of Jesus was killed, was beheaded. And there was chaos. There was so much sorrow, so much grief in, amongst the Christians there. There was they were sore with grief. They were, they were terrified. And then soon after, Peter was arrested. Ha! Guess how these guys responded this time. Before in James' case, they were caught blindsided. 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 What am I saying? They were caught blindsided. <laughs> but after 
Peter was arrested. Oh, these people prayed relentlessly day and night. They prayed, they prayed till Peter was going to show up at their door. They prayed and that's exactly what happened. An angel of the Lord released him and he was at their door. They were so surprised. In fact, they, they thought it was the angel of Peter that was there, you know, and that just shows how much they had interacted with angels, crazy stuff. But they were surprised that their, like their prayers actually worked so quickly. There was deliverance there. Talk about Paul and Silas. There was deliverance there, right? The whole place shook, doors opened, and they escaped. There were several times that if you read the account of Paul alone in 2 Corinthians 11, you see the things he had gone through, the shipwrecks, the stoning, and somehow God still preserved him till his work was done. I'm telling you, God intervenes. He does. He sends his angels. He sends guardian angels. He sends people to rescue, to bless, to save. God will not just by himself just start picking everybody, stop that, smacking everybody over their head. No, he won't do that. He's a God who is patient with people. You know, and back then it was different. I'm going to talk about this if we have time. Um, because there's some controversial issues, you know, we say God, we make God sounds so lovely and marshmallow and nice and cute, but we've seen God kill, we've seen God inflict people with things, right? Even his own people. So you can't tell me all these things about God. And it's still about the concept of justice and the covenant. When you talk about God's actions, you need to talk about two things. You need to talk about his justice and you need to talk about the covenant established. The covenant established back then was a different covenant, a different agreement. The covenant now that we have in the new covenant is entirely different as well. And his justice system works in such a way. And let me just go to it right away since we're here. The, the justice system that God operates by is the one where if you do good, he rewards you. If you do bad, he punishes you. But before he punishes you for the wrong that you do, he gives a window of repentance every time. He gives a window of repentance every time for you to come to repentance, to believe and trust in him, to forsake your sins and receive his grace every time. And if you don't do that, you're going to see the punishment. That's a good justice system. In fact, the justice system we have in, in the country and around the world is not as merciful. There's no time to repent. You've done it. That's the end. You are gone. But in God's you know, agenda and justice system, it's such that as you're doing the wrong things, he gives you like, yeah, you were ignorant, right? And that's fine. But now you know, repent. Now you know, repent. And it happened in the time of Noah. How do I know this? The people in, in Noah's time, their sin was so grievous. In fact, the description was that their sins had reached the brim and started to overflow. It was bad, very bad. The, the kind of things... You can't even rationalize with your mind the kind of things these guys did. But he sent a preacher for over a century, the man Noah. As he was building the ark, he was preaching. He was telling, the Bible called him a preacher of righteousness. He was telling people about the way in which they could be saved. They didn't believe him. No one believed him except his family. Do you understand? And then the floods came. The, the literal manifestation of the wrath of God came and washed these people out. Do you understand? That's justice. That's not evil. There's a difference between evil and justice. If you, if, let me just bring it home. If, God forbid, one of your family members were killed and they caught the person who, who, was, who committed the act, who killed, 
and after this person comes forward you know and and they say you know what um this guy he's he's a great guy look at his track record he's done some nice things in the community this was just a mistake let's le let it slide in fact you would look at that judge as evil for letting it slide if the verdict is you know not only did he kill you know your family member he had done some terrible things before as well and they want to give him death penalty guess what the de death penalty is justice not evil because you deserved it for the wrong that you did that's exactly how god operates as well it's not different in the time of sodom and gomorrah he gave them time to repent he even bargained with abraham that i will spare them if i can find this find that you need to realize that that's what god wanted um, that's how god operates i beg your pardon in the sense that he gives to us what we deserve but guess what he also gives to us what we don't deserve which is his mercy and that's where it comes in there's always a window to repent now in the new covenant as it's shifted over how god operates is that we are now in that window of grace we have sinned, we have fallen short of his glory. He has brought the gospel to bring us to repentance, the good news. Just like he sent Noah, he sent his apostles to bring the good news. He sent us to witness, to bring people to repentance. You know, and just like Romans says, Romans 2 mentions, Romans 2 verse 4, that it is the, it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. God has shown mercy and he's, he's, he's calling you to repentance. It's we're in a window of his grace again. But the wrath of God is coming. It's coming. We've enjoyed this time for so long, but the Lord is coming back again, not as a savior in the sense of he's coming to die again. He's coming to execute justice on the world and to bring his people to himself. That's what he's coming for. And that's why we shout this message so much. God is so good that he gives justice. If he was not just, then he cannot be good. Those two are not mutually exclusive they need to go hand in hand you can't be good if you're not just it's not possible and because the justice system requires that payments must be made people must pay for their wrongdoings but god being merciful said you know what people can actually pay for their wrongdoings i'll bring someone who can i would be in the form of men die on the cross and pay the death that they deserve the death penalty i will take it upon myself that is god's idea of justice my friends i want you to renew your mind today renew your mind don't be conformed to the thinking of this world so that you can discern that this is god's will god's will is for the reconciliation of man to bring healing and when he comes back look all of this all of this evil in this world is temporary it's not always going to be like this. There's a day. He, he's patiently waiting. You know, the Bible tells us that God is, you know, is patient, not as man counts slackness, but he's not willing that anyone will perish, but I all come to repentance. That's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's allowing these things to happen. He's seeing people willingly in his face rebel against him, curse him out, shout in his face, say all these things, rebel, turn away from him, blaspheme him. He's seen all of these things. Yet he's patiently waiting that somehow, somewhere, one, some of us will go to these people, reach out to them with a message of repentance and bring them back to, the, to his fold, to have relationship with him. My friends, James said it, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father 
of light comes from above. There is no variableness. Jesus echoed it again and said the same thing. David a thousand times shouted it, Oh, God is good and his mercies endure forever. And this is the revelation of his mercy that in Christ Jesus, he became flesh. The Son of God became a man so that men might be the sons of God. That is an expression of the goodness of God. And whether you see things happen well in your life, maybe you see bread to eat today, or you don't see this, you know, you, you see all these things. Ultimately, whether you see these things or you don't, ultimately, the goodness of God is hinged on the fact that he adopted you as a son, or he, he made a plan to adopt you as his son. And with sonship comes this benefit of provision, of protection, of redemption, of relationship. My friends, God is good. And, and, and I'm, I wish I could go through this. Maybe one thing I'll just do. Um, I plan to do this and I'll just do it quickly. There was a guy, right, called Uza. And you know the story, and probably you've heard the story of Uza. There was a time they were carrying the ark and the oxen tripped, stumbled. And the ark looked like it was going to fall. And Uza touched it. Let's read it. First Corinthians chapter 13. Quickly, First Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Chronicles, I beg your pardon. First Chronicles chapter 13 from verse 7. Verse 7 to 12, I'll read it very quickly. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Hayo were driving the cart. So these were the sons. Uzzah was the son of Abinadab, right? So they were carrying the ark of the covenant. And, and the ark represented the geographical presence of God in a place. Right. That was Old Testament representation, but it was also a real serious deal. The only people who were permitted to touch or handle this ark were those who were consecrated in the line of the Levites. All right. The Levites were a special consecrated tribe. Many times when you handle this, they have a ritual where the, the blood of a lamb is involved. They, they are sprinkled by the blood so that they can be deemed worthy to carry the, the ark in that time so it's a very serious thing um, and David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all their might I love this they were celebrating God with all their might that's a beautiful thing to witness with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets verse 9 and when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon Uzzah puts out his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled verse 10 and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Verse 11, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? Now you look at a case like this and you're like, how is God good to this guy? This guy meant well. Uzzah meant well. He was, the ark looked like it was tipping over and he reached out to save the ark. Tell me. How is that bad? And God was angry and killed him. Seriously? Seriously, what's going on? When you read prior to this, the laws that were established around the ark and the laws that were repeatedly told to the people of Israel concerning the ark, no one was allowed to handle it except the Levites, the priests who were consecrated for this work. The reason is this, and it's, it's both a logical and spiritual concepts and I want you to pay attention and I'll use a logical 
everyday you know example to help you understand right <laughs> let me i mean with, with the corona this is something we can um, um we can relate with right if you have your hands like it's dirty there are germs you've sneezed on your hand you've coughed in your hands even though you shouldn't have done that and then you have a, a bottle of hand sanitizer right and you squeeze it what happens it cleanses it gets rid of, of the germs right now imagine like there's one germ let me just paint a picture there's a germ coming you know walking walking a germ passing and this the, on the tip of the bottle of the hand sanitizer there's a drop about to fall and the germ was like no let me save it so that it's not dirty the chair maybe by chance and the germ just died no and cut it what's going to happen <laughs> that was noble man that was so noble of that germ but guess what naturally when something so bad touches something so good the result is what you're thinking of right now that germ will be extinguished killed on the spot do you understand it's the same way. It's not that the ark was so bad. It was the fact that it was so good. And Uzzah was not, at least in the sight of God. He hadn't gone through the rituals. He wasn't sprinkled with the blood. He wasn't consecrated and sanctified. And so if anything unsanctified, uncleansed, touches that which is holy, that is the result. So the writer, I believe, was explaining it as, it's, as it seemed, explained it as it looked. That the wrath of God came upon, but that's it. The wrath of God against sin is that. That's why there was a covering by blood. It's the same way it applies today. Those who are covered by the blood are protected from the wrath of God. The same way it was at the Passover. Those who were covered by the blood on the lintels of their doorposts were, were saved from the wrath of God. It's the same principle. A general principle in all of Jerusalem and Israel. They knew it. And it happened. So... Before we go point to and say, God's what you've caused, this guy was good. It's a principle, no matter the intention of your heart, if you are not cleansed, it, it's the same result. Regardless of how nice that germ was to, to help you know, your couch from staining from that, it's what it is. <laughs> Amen. I hope that example makes sense. But guys, at the end of the day, I know we have so much to talk about in, in, in regards to this. The case of Job, the hardness of Pharaoh when it comes to how, why did God harden his heart and all those things if God is good. I know we can't nearly finish everything now, but that's why I needed to show up for Audacity Conference. It's coming, um, coming out. We're having this conference on the 25th of June this month. We're going to elaborate more on this, right? I'll, I'll emphasize some of these things I've said, but we're going to go deeper. We're going to check some more examples. So the ones that, that actually shake you, those kind of examples that get you wondering. And I'm going to just help you see that at the end of the day, all God has ever tried to do and ever will do is for your good. He loves mankind that much. He's that, he's that rich husband who wants to lavish and spend on his bride, but his bride, bride wants nothing. All the bride does is blame him for all the things wrong in their lives. Don't be like that kind of housewife. Don't be like that kind of housewife that, that doesn't see the lavishness of his love and his goodness. Receive his love freely. I'm going to read this as we close. Romans 12, verse, verse 2. I want you to read it to me loud as possible. Romans 12, from verse 2. One, to go. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that in no matter what you are going through you always see beyond the situation and realize the perfect will of God in this situation is your good it's your betterment is your health it's 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 your eternity it's eternal life see that his perfect will is that he fulfills every promise he has said about you regardless of what you're experiencing right now to not move by your senses but by God's promises and I see, uh, and, and if you believe this, I want you to shout a loud amen. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Can we turn this to prayer right now? We've heard so much about the promises of God. We've heard so much about the character of God. But I want you to just pray right now that, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me to see your goodness, even in the bad times. Help me, let that be what steadies me, an anchor for my soul. Let your goodness be an anchor for my soul. Let your goodness be the thing that I see when I wake up. Let your goodness be the thing, the thing that I think about as I go about my day. Help me to see your goodness like David saw it. That the Lord is good and his mercy endure forever. Help me, Lord, to, in everything I do to taste and see of your goodness. To experience it tangibly. In the name of Jesus, that in no matter what I face, even in the bad times, in the times of tests and trials, help me to understand that you're not the one who tempts with these things. You're not the one that brings these trials. But in spite of the trials, you strengthen us. You prepare us. You work patience in us. You work endurance in us. You work all things to our good thank you jesus let my perspective change let me repent of the times i've thought wrong about you let my perspective change let me see that you are actively bringing healing to the world through the your people on this earth that we are the salt of this earth how you season this world how you do it is through us help me to change my perspective that how we bring light in a dark world is through us we are your light in this world we are the light of the world we are the salt of the earth this is how you move the people of God in any place they are the move of God help me to recognize this help me not to just sit back and blame you for all that is wrong but help me to take active steps in reconciling the world and bringing goodness to this evil world in bringing light to this dark world in bringing hope in this world of despair to bring life where there is death help me to see my part in this lord jesus help me to not just sit idly by in the name of jesus my perspective of you changes it will never be moved it will not be shaken by circumstance or situation oh lord it stands the test of time and the test of pressure in the name of jesus oh my faith in you my perspective about your goodness will stand the test of all tests in the name of jesus thank you father in jesus mighty name we have prayed lord i pray a special prayer to your people listening here those who came with doubts and those who needed to build their convictions again i pray that these words that have been spoken helps to reinforce that in their lives 
that they will live here with a reformed mindset, that they will run knowing all the days of their lives that you are good and you are working for our good. You're working to bring about all your promises in our lives. Your promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ and we believe it with all of our heart. I pray for anyone who's doubting. They've seen so much evil in their lifetime personally and also what they've, ex- what they've seen happening to the world. Lord, let their hearts be stayed on you. Let their hope rise knowing that you're coming back to restore this world in a way that is free from sin, where it's glorious and new and pristine and it speaks only of righteousness free from sin. That's what you are doing and Lord, you're doing it in us. You've started that work in us where you've made us your righteousness and now it's going to extend to the rest of the world. Lord, we pray in the time, this window of grace, help us to take active steps to tell the world of your goodness, to spread the good news so that many might come to you and repent and believe on your name and be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' mighty matchless name, we have prayed. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a big shout if you believe. Rejoice in his goodness right now. Glory to God. Woo! Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.